0: Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me today to to Galatians chapter 2? To Galatians chapter 2. You're wondering, how is he going so fast? Well. This is narrative. Narrative always flows quickly because it's story form. It's Paul's giving his testimony. And this is why we are able to cover so many verses today. We're going to start in chapter 2 even. We, when we were in Philippians, we was on about a verse 3 by now. Is that correct? I think it was about right. We're talking about Paul in defense of Paul. And this is part 2 of that. Over and over in chapter 1, Paul defends the gospel over and over because he's building a platform. But what we saw last time, and we're seeing today, is Paul defending Paul. Now, he doesn't do that much. He does it in 2 Corinthians. It's just a rare thing for him to do it. However, he's been accused of plagiarizing his message from the apostles, and not only that, of masquerading as an apostle. And so he comes out of his corner. We saw last week, the last time, his humiliation. Paul is so transparent. That's what I love about him. You know, when you walk with God, there's no reason not to be. You don't have to worry about what other people think. You need to worry about what God thinks. And when you know that He knows, what does it matter if everybody else knows? See, we're always protecting a reputation, and it's so sad. Paul's not protecting anything. He's very transparent. In his humiliation, he humbly shares what he used to be. And he was one of the Judaizers that are plaguing the church there to the Galatian believers, those churches in southern Galatia. He was one of them. And that's the whole point of this. He's trying to get across to them, I have been there. I know who these people are. I know what they're saying. I used to be one of them. The difference is the Apostle Paul took it to a level they never dared to take it. He didn't try to deceive anybody. (laughs) If you didn't agree with him, he put you to death. I mean, that's the way he lived. He took it far beyond the false teachers that are, that are plaguing the Southern Galatian churches. It says in verse 13 and 14 of chapter one, as we review, for you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. You've heard it. I told you how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral tradition." You see, Paul took it far beyond these false teachers. He's been there, he's been one of them, he's done that. What they're trying to buy back into, he's been completely set free from, and that's that's his whole point. Then Paul sets out to show that he did not receive the gospel message from any man. To accuse him of plagiarizing another man's message is a false charge. And he wants to make sure they understand that. It was revealed to him by God himself. He vindicates himself in verses 15 and following. Verse 15 and 16, he says, But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. What a beautiful two verses. and we'll almost go back and preach on them again. God had a plan for Paul before Paul was ever born. And it was God, not man, that revealed his son in Paul. That inward revelation of the resurrected Christ. And when he saw it, he was changed forever. Paul did not seek after God. God sought after Paul. Paul shows that he didn't get his message from the apostles in verse 17. He says, he says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. He said, I didn't go get it from the apostles. How could I plagiarize their message? I didn't get it from them. In fact, he preached that message of the gospel that God had revealed to him for three years before he even decided to go to Jerusalem. And the reason he went to Jerusalem was just to meet Simon Peter while he was there. James dropped in, it says in verse 18, Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Simon Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. His visit was not to get credibility. His visit was not to see that if his message was approved. He just went to see Peter. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. Simon Peter walked with Jesus. and he, Paul didn't have that experience, and he wanted to know what it was like. And, you know, it is beautiful what God did. He sent James over while he was there. James was the Lord's brother, grew up with Jesus. Here's here's one who grew up with him. Here's another one who walked with him. And that's that's the only reason he went to Jerusalem. He says in verse 19, But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Evidently, Paul had been accused of lying by somebody. See, that's the way to do it. You just try to discredit the messenger so that you can discredit the message. That's the way people work. If, you're not, if you don't understand that, look at the political system and what goes on in our newscast every day. Tear the man down, and then somehow you can go against what he's saying. That's exactly what they did with Paul. They tried to tear him down. And Lida, he, they said, he's a liar. He's a liar. In verse 20, Paul says, Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God. That means God is my witness. It's stronger than taking an oath there to assure his credibility. I assure you before God that I am not in any way, shape, or form lying. He says after his first visit to Jerusalem in verse 21, then I went into regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now why would he do that? He just continued preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. is what God told him to do. And they, those were Gentile areas. Paul even documents that not even the Judean churches gave him the message. How could he have plagiarized the message from anybody? He didn't hear it from man. He says in verse 22, Galatians 1, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. And I love this. What a beautiful picture here. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. Paul didn't receive the gospel from any man. God revealed it to him. He didn't get it from the apostles. He didn't get it from the Judean churches. On that Damascus road, some marvelous things took place and and beyond. And God revealed to him the message he wanted him to preach. Well, today we're going to begin with a consultation he seeks with three of the apostles in Jerusalem. And then we're going to begin to look at the confrontation He has with Simon Peter. I hate to tell you, but we're not going to finish that one. We're just going to introduce it. because It's going to take too much time. In verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, Paul is going to take the message of grace, the message that he preaches to the Gentiles, and he's going to go to the apostles. Now listen carefully. He's not going for them to approve him. He's going to see if he approves of them. He's going to find out where they stand on the message of grace. It's not really Paul being tested here. It's going to be the the message of grace and see where they're standing there in Jerusalem. He'll not back down. Paul will not back down from the integrity of the message of grace. Have you ever wondered why Simon Peter sometimes will back down, but, but Paul never would? Have you ever wondered about that? You see, Paul was so steeped in this message that God had to break him, blind him for three days and turn him inside out and he was never one to go back. He said, I'll never go back to it. Simon Peter, however, didn't have quite that same experience. And you see the differences in the two. I'd rather have a, a legalist. I mean a legalist. I mean one that knows the law to, down to the, the, to the very A's and B's of it. I, I'd rather have one of them come to know Christ than I would somebody that just comes in, understands grace, and never understands the seriousness of sin and responsibility and what cleansing's all about and what the cross is all about. I'd much rather have somebody who's been the other way, and God had to completely turn him inside out and bring him here on the other side. Paul is not about to back down, as you will see in the verses today. Well we've seen his just his uh, humiliation. We've seen his vindication. Now we're going to see his consultation with the apostles. Let me read the text for you and you just follow along with me. Verses one through 10 of chapter two. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor. The very thing I also was eager to do. It was 14 years before Paul finally went before the apostles. Now he had been before Peter, but only to visit and, and met James at the same time. But he went for a consultation. Uh, he had been preaching the message of grace all this time. And, that, and, and, and you see, he, he didn't seek their approval beforehand. He'd been preaching it. And now he goes and seeks a consultation with these men. Now there are five visits that we know for sure that Paul made to Jerusalem. This causes some confusion. The only reason I'm bringing this up is if you are one of those who who loves to go to a commentary to check out and see if your preacher's right, you will find a divisive opinion on this. And let me show you where you're gonna run into trouble. Five different visits he made to Jerusalem. Which one's he talking about? After 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem. Which visit is he talking about? The first visit he made was the one we just looked at in chapter 1, 18 through 20, when he visited Peter and he met James. The second visit was to take money to people in Judea, the Christians in Judea, who had suffered from a famine. And Acts chapter 11, 28 through 30, tells us about that visit. Uh, It's not brought up specifically in Galatia, but yet I think that's what he's talking about. It says, one of them named Agabus, a prophets had come down, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would, great, there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This is Acts eleven, twenty-eight, And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. That's his second visit to Jerusalem, to take that money that was taken up from the believers to help out those who are suffering from the famine in Judea. His third visit, this is where a lot of the complications come, was to attend the Jerusalem Council, which is indicated in Acts 15, verses 1 through 30. That's his third visit. His fourth visit was at the end of his second missionary journey, recorded in Acts 18, verse 22. And his fifth and final visit to Jerusalem which resulted in his and imprisonment is in Acts twenty-one, fifteen through twenty-three, and verse thirty-five. Now, here's the problem. So many people are divided over two visits that he made to Jerusalem. Was it the, the visit, the famine visit, I call it, or was it the third visit for the Jerusalem Council? That's when they made up the decrees and sent them out to all the churches that talked about they're free from the law and from the bondage to the law. Well, my personal view on it, and this is why when you study, you're gonna say, well, my preacher's wrong. Or maybe you might decide he's right. It's not inerrant, either way we go. But my personal feeling is it's his, it's his famine visit. And I'll tell you why. He mentions Peter, James, and John. He does not say one word about James, who's the head elder in Jerusalem, and that of council. He's the one who made the final decision. And he doesn't say anything about the decrees which they came up with in that Jerusalem council. And it just seems to me like that this is another visit on its own. Had to be that that famine visit when he took the money in. That's my personal view. Now, if you disagree, that's all right. And you'll say, why did you waste my time? Well, you just have to understand. (laughs) There's a lot of, uh, if you take it to that level, there's a lot of discussion about which visit it was. Verse 1, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Now, the Galatians says he took Titus with him. Oh, this is ingenious. You're talking about how God set this thing up. Paul and Barnabas were Jews. Where are they going? Jerusalem. Hey, man, we're going to fit like a glove. I mean, we're, we're with old home folks over here. Hey, Barnabas, how you do? Hey, Paul, hey, good see you. But who's Titus? Titus is a Gentile redneck. He has nothing to do with the Jewish traditions, the promises, the covenants, or anything else. And they take Titus with them. And you see, Paul admits this was not his idea. This wasn't an afternoon committee meeting when they decided this would be a good thing to do. No. God said, go to Jerusalem. God said, take Titus. Look at verse 2. It was because of a revelation that I went up. In other words, he didn't go on his own. God had to reveal to him, this is what I want you to do. The word for revelation is the word we've seen several times, apocalypsis. Apocalypse simply means to uncover something, to reveal something. And in this particular context, it reveals an instruction to do something. He did not have that idea himself. God gave him that idea and told him what to do. This had to have come from God. For what's going to happen next, only God could have set this up. Uh, To take Titus with him was was such an incredible plan. Verse 2, it was because of a revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, if I'm correct, and this is his famine visit, then what I see happening here is he just seized the opportunity and found Peter, James, and John and said, I want a private consultation with you. I want to talk to you a little bit. I want to submit to you the gospel which I preach, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the law. It doesn't require circumcision. It doesn't require give, uh, bowing down to the Mosaic law. He said, I want, want to submit, I'm i going to submit this to these three men. I want to see where they are. Paul says, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation. Now, this was wisdom only God could have given him. He didn't seek the whole group. He sought the big three, Peter, James, and John. John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll. And uh, uh, whoever else you can throw in there, Agent Rogers, is I got the big three. I got the big three. Isn't it funny that that he goes on later on to say God doesn't really show partiality, but this is people. People signal them out. They're they're the big three. And we know it's Peter, James, and John. How? By verse 9. If you'll drop down look at verse 9, it's clear. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, and it names them, and Cephas, Simon, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars. So we know exactly who he went to talk to. Now when Paul said at the last of the verse too, he says, For fear that I might be running or had run in vain. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that he he might talk with them and feel like he's been a failure? Is that what he's saying? Absolutely not. Paul is totally convinced of his message and nothing will ever change him from preaching it. But what he's saying is, if these three men, if they would for a second, say that you had to add law to grace, then that would cripple the message that was going out to the Gentiles. It wouldn't stop him from preaching it, but would cripple people from understanding it. And he said, I don't want to be running in vain. I want to find out if you guys are where you ought to be. You're over here in Jerusalem. Now, where are you when it comes to the law and when it comes to grace? Titus, a Gentile, who had never been circumcised, which was the first initial rite of the physical sign of Abraham, he had never been circumcised, was the test case to see where these guys were. Now, this this is a critical moment in Christianity in the New Testament. If these three apostles would have said, he needs to be circumcised, then Paul would have said, well, I I need to pack up and go home. It's going to be even tougher now preaching the message that God has given to me. But the beautiful thing is, they didn't. Isn't that awesome? They didn't. Verse verse 3 says, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Man, you have to see the thrill that's in his voice when he writes then. The word for compelled is anakazo. Anakazo. It means made to do something by force in order to set an example. That's interesting here. They didn't make an example out of Titus. Here's a Greek. Here's a Gentile. What's he doing over here in Jerusalem? And what are we doing here? They didn't make him be circumcised, that, that mosaic right. They didn't make him do that in order to be saved. They said, no, sir, Jesus is enough. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. What a powerful statement. What a powerful statement. You know what? That even frees us in America today to get up and say, Jesus is enough. You don't need law. Jesus is enough. He's sufficient to save you. He's sufficient to sanctify you. And no religious law is going to help you attain anything. He is your attainment. He is your spirituality. And that's basically what they affirm. In verse 4 of chapter 2, it says, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Now, Paul's victory did not come easily. Now, the three men, Peter, James, and John, he had no problem with them, but there were some others who found out about the meeting and came there. No doubt these were the Judaizers. They were secretly brought in. That's interesting. Someone must have found out about the meeting. They came in uninvited. Party poopers. They came into this secret private meeting, just to throw in their two cents work. These Judaizers' chief slogan is found in Acts 15, verse 1. And Remember this. It says, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was their whole doctrine. Christ is not enough. Grace is not enough. You have to, be, you have, to have an external sign, external mark on your body. These Judaizers were very malicious people. And they were like spies going behind the enemy lines to find out what they were doing so they could go back and and contradict it in a different way. In this case, they infiltrated. The word means sneaked in alongside. (laughs) They intruded without invitation into the apostles' private conference. When I was going to Romania under those years of communism, I could always spot the communists that were there. They'd always come to see what we were saying so that they could get in their little meetings and, and tear it down. And, I, and one fellow showed up almost every meeting I went to, and he had little round, dark glasses. And this was at night in a room that wasn't very well lit. I'm thinking, what in the world is he doing? Wearing those little things and sit there and just stare at me the whole time I'd preach. <laughs> That just made me preach stronger. I'll tell you what, I don't know what God did during those days. I've never had any more boldness than I had over in in Romania under the communistic times. But he was sitting right there. They sneak in. They had to hear what's being said so that they can go back and get their, their information to where they can contradict it. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Now, their goals were twofold. Twofold. And Paul's very clear about it. One was to spy on the people. Kata scopise. (laughs) Oh, I'm thankful Spiros is in Chattanooga. Uh, The word scopise. Scope, it's the word we get the word scope from. I was sharing last night in the first service. I I have these little bitty binoculars I used in the South when I'd go hunting. Out here, I can't even see beyond the car. Man, I've got to get something bigger, and I've got to get closer to what's going on. I've never seen land so vast and so big out here. And that's the idea. Get in closer. Get in closer. Magnify it even more. They came in to spy out. Their intent was hostile as a purpose to observe the freedom that that these believers had from the Mosaic Law and from a set of rules and regulations. So first of all, it was to spy out the message. By the way, from time to time, we're going to have that right here in Hoffmantown. You may be here this morning, and I have a word for you. I just want you to know that we know who you are. You come in to find out what the believers are saying about grace so that you can go out and you can use what we say, twist it as Second Peter talks about, and then use it to contradict what we say. But we are understanding that you're here. That happens all the time. And you never know which service it is, but they'll be here. But then secondly, their whole purpose was to make Christians slaves to the law. They wanted to bring believers back under bondage. And he says that. He says, in order to bring us into... They can't take away our salvation, so they they say, okay, since you can't take away the salvation, let's get them, while they're saved, back up under law. Let's, let's, Let's cripple them. Let's take away their joy. Let's put them back up under a religious system so that they can lose all the joy of a relationship. Well, these were those folks, and they came in to see whether or not Titus was going to be circumcised or not. And they really, they emphasized that he should be. This is, this is the contention that Paul went through. He just set up a private consultation. But here comes these uninvited people trying to make it look like they're trying to sway those three apostles to have him circumcised. But verse 5, But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Aren't you, aren't you glad that the apostle Paul was who he was. I tell you, I love him. I just love studying his epistles. I love the, what God did in him. He would not budge. He would not budge, because the truth of the gospel was at stake. And he understood the seriousness of this moment. Even though a private consultation, it was as important as the Jerusalem Council that happened later on. Well, to impose circumcision upon Titus would have been to deny that salvation is by faith alone, by grace. It would have been to completely deny that message. And it would have stated that faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. The fundamental truth of the gospel would have been at stake. It was at stake. And therefore Paul did not budge. You know there are people today to say you have to be baptized by water in order to be saved. You understand that, what I'm saying? That is a physical act. And do you realize this is the proof text right here? If you add anything, an external act to the grace of Jesus Christ, you've just detracted from his sufficiency and his deity and his ability to save us. But we did not yield, verse 5, in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. The apostles, Peter, James, and John affirmed Paul's message. It says in verse 6, but from those who were of high reputation. And I love how Paul does this. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I just love that. He just, he does, he's not enamored by who somebody is. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me, which means they did not add one single thing to my message of grace that I was preaching to the Gentile world. Verse 7, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been, To the circumcision, this gets exciting. The word "seeing" is idon, idon. It means to come into a clear perception of something. It is used when something finally clears up and you see it without a shadow of a doubt. How many of you in here are teachers of some kind? It doesn't matter where you are. Just raise your yes. Now you know you're just like I am. You can't wait for that. You know that look on somebody's face when it finally comes clear. I mean, one of those looks is good for the whole year. You'll go back and teach the next year if you can just get one of them to see it. You're teaching for that. Uh, uh, I got it. I got it. Aha! Uh-huh, I have it. It's clear. It has come clear to me. I see it. That's exactly what he's talking about right here. These apostles weren't sure exactly what they were getting into in this private consultation with, with Paul and Barnabas and and Titus. But now it's come clear to them, just as clear as a bell. What is it that came clear? Seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. They saw it. it. That's the beautiful thing. I want you to keep understanding what I'm saying. God sent him up there. It was not to affirm him. It was really to test them. But God threw in this as an extra blessing. He got affirmed because they saw it. They saw it. They, he, they saw that he knew the gospel. They didn't tell him the gospel. They knew that. They knew the Judean churches didn't tell him. And they said, whoa, whoa, look at this. God has raised this man up to be an apostle to the Gentile world. And they affirmed him. They affirmed him. Well, God spoke to me last night as I was preaching. He didn't have anything in my mind of saying it. But you know what? Many years back when I was younger in the ministry... I I kept wanting people to affirm me, to affirm me. You know, in some Baptist churches in the South, they'll have days when the congregation will come before a vote of affirmation to affirm the old boy. But you know, as I've gotten older, it's dawning on me over and over again in Scripture, You don't have to worry about ever somebody affirming you. God will affirm you. And when God affirms you, buddy, you are affirmed. And therefore, if you're living what you say and you're seeking to do what he told you to do, God will be your affirmation. And it's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. He didn't have to be affirmed. He knew he was already affirmed in God's eyes. But God affirmed him through the Apostles. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. They realized, hey, we understand Simon Peter. We understand the commission God gave to him. But look at this. God has done the same thing with this man by the name of Paul. He has given him the ministry to the Gentiles. He knows the gospel and nobody taught it to him. It's exactly what we preach. That was a God thing. In verse 8, it says, For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Totally God thing. The word for had worked effectively, the word worked is energma. Energma means to cause something to happen. And it points to the result. God caused it to happen. That Peter would be assigned the ministry to the circumcised. And he caused it to happen. And they saw it. They saw it that Paul was, was commissioned to the Gentile world. Well, Galatians 2, 9-11 says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And then it says, They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. So Paul's consultation with these three probably on his Jerusalem famine visit paid off big time. In fact, it set the stage for what was going to happen in the Gentile world, of which we are the benefit even today in America being believers. Turned out awesome for the cause of the gospel. Jesus is enough. We have seen Paul's humiliation, his vindication, and his consultation. Now we come to that point that a lot have been waiting for, his confrontation. he is about to stand in the face of Simon Peter. Paul is. What's going on? I, I mean, it pretty congenial in verses 1 through 10. What in the world is going to happen now, Wayne? Well, let me introduce it first of all. What happens next? May, it may really catch you by surprise. Uh, it's so interesting to me how some people have the power, the demeanor about them that makes us want to feel like we've, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. You know anybody like that? Maybe it's in your family. You've been walking under grace, and you're doing. See, grace works. This is not a passive message. If you're, Jesus was obedient to His Father unto death, and so therefore He's going to be obedient in us. He's going to perfect that obedience in us, that willingness to do. We'll become doers of the Word. We won't go out and do it. We will become doers of the Word if we're living under grace. The works will take care of themselves. But have you ever been walking in that freedom, just enjoying Jesus, and I mean being responsible to the things that God's put in front of you? And somebody comes around. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your family. You have a mother or father who's never pleased with you. You never can quite attain. Now, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> your your parents might be here. I don't, I don't want you to do that. But I mean, when you're around them, suddenly you lose all the joy of walking with Christ. Suddenly, you feel like you've got to go do something to prove yourself so that you can win from them something that you should have already had. Does that ring a bell, to anybody? When they come around, you're more in a works mentality. When they leave, you can walk under grace. You see, it could be anywhere. It could be in a job. It could be somebody you work with that puts that kind of... Now, I'm not talking about responsibility and jobs and gifts and college. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the the personality of somebody that's never pleased with anything you do. That's what I'm talking about. It just makes you feel like you're an idiot. You come home at night thinking, Well, God, I'm certain I can do something more than this. But when they come around, when they come around, it puts you up under that old guilt that you've got to go out and do something in order to attain something. Well, of all people who should be exempt from this kind of thing, it would be Peter, Simon Peter. I mean, isn't he the one who stood there and said, Do whatever you have to do. We cannot shut up. We've got to talk about what we've seen and heard. Isn't he the one who did that? Isn't he the, the great guy that after the Pentecost and the Spirit came to live within them? Isn't he the bold one? You know, something about Simon Peter that I've related to from time to time. That is, the only time he ever opened his mouth was to change feet. You're going to see a fickle individual here. He's very fickle. He's very fickle. Of all people, you would think Simon Peter would be the one never to cower to people like that. He didn't in verses 1 through 10. He stood his ground. <laughs> I went to give blood when I was in college. There's something about giving blood around here. Is is, is there something I've missed? I don't know. It's always about giving blood. We want your blood. You know, it's okay. It's all right. Just never have seen quite the affinity towards that, but that's okay. We had a guy on our team that was in a car wreck and we needed to give blood. So we, as a team, went down. And uh, they wouldn't let me give it because I had rheumatic fever when I was growing up. And so they, uh, for whatever reason, I've never suffered any. Effects that I know of, but they wouldn't let me give the blood. So I had to stand over. But I watched everybody else giving the blood. The biggest guy, tackle, that played for us, offensive tackle, that I've ever seen at that point. Now, I've seen bigger since, but I've ever seen at that point. He was the one I was thinking, boy, it won't even bother him. He passed out. (laughs) He's the only one that fainted. And that's the way it is with Simon Peter. Do what? You mean Simon Peter guilty of this? That's right. The very one you think would not be is the very culprit. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Boy, these are tough words here. You see, over in verses 1 through 10, they've been over in Jerusalem. Remember? That's his hometown. Hey, Pete, how you doing? Good. Good to see you. Now he's over in Antioch. Antioch is Gentile territory. These are your rednecks. And he's over in Gentile territory. A little different. A little different. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, why would Paul do that? He said, because he stood condemned. Now, the word opposed is the word anti It means to stand. Anti means against, and then istame means to stand. To stand. To get right in his face. My mama used to try to do that, but she had to stand up on a chair and... <laughs> smacked me in the knee. But I mean, he got him right in the face, just stared at him right in the face. And the word condemned doesn't mean he lost his salvation. It means he was guilty. He was guilty of something. And so Peter had to rebuke him. Now what happened? (laughs) You ever noticed that Paul was very gentle when somebody did not understand grace, when the weaker brother came along? He was very gentle, very gentle. In fact, the whole 14th chapter of Romans and goes into the 15th chapter, and then verse eight through ten, or chapter eight through ten of First Corinthians, deals with the weaker brother. And Paul's so gentle with them. He says, "Don't ever use your freedom under grace as a license to walk over your weaker brother." And so he's very, he's very sensitive to the weaker brother. Later on in his ministry, Paul had Timothy circumcised because of the effect it was going to have on those weaker brothers. It says in Acts 16.3, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. You say, that is so inconsistent. He wouldn't circumcise Titus, and he turned right around and circumcised Timothy. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not the same thing. Timothy's mother was Jewish, and his daddy was Greek, and he knew he was going into Jewish areas. And a lot of these were believers, and they would not have understood had he not been circumcised. So therefore, that never became an issue that would come up in the conversation debates that would be would be brought up. That's just, just, that's just divine discernment. Paul understood that. He was very tender to the weak. You have to understand that. However, to the strong, to those who understood grace, he was a bear. But he would get right in your face. If you were a weaker brother, he had all the time in the world. If you were a stronger brother, he'd get right in your face. Verse 12, For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he, became, he, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Now watch. Simon Peter, who was comfortable around the Gentiles when he was by himself. Now, this is just a beautiful picture in my mind. He, he cowers now to the pressure of the Judaizers. But I love to see his comfort around the Gentiles before they came. He says, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, what, what comes up in my mind, because you understand my mind is a little quirky, but I get, to, I get into a mental picture of what's going on here. And here he is coming over into Antioch. He sees his buddies. He, Peter was the one who had the vision of the foods that came down. And he saw that anything's clean now. There's nothing unclean anymore. We're free from that law. And he would walk over. And old Ralph would walk up and say, Hey, Pete, come on over for dinner tonight. He said, Woo, son, what are you going to do? He said, We're going to barbecue. Barbecue? Son, I can't wait to be there. What are you going to have? And they said, Pork. Oh, you missed that. Good grief. <laughs> pork. And Simon Peter, who couldn't eat pork all those years because it was unclean, probably said back, make mine medium well, throw in some French fries or a big old big orange potato and give me a salad with, with honey mustard. What I that make you hungry? And that's what he'd probably say. Well, he did that until they came. Oh, my. Who are the they in your life? Oh, don't get on Simon Peter. We're the same way, aren't we? Somebody who's really st- stuck with numbers and all of this other stuff. When they come around, all of a sudden you feel like you've got to do something in order to be pleasing to somebody else. When they came. He began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. The word withdraw, epostella, under is Ippo is under and stello means to place yourself. He, if this was a big old uh, table, he'd get down behind the table. <laughs> and everybody say, "Where's old Peter?" I don't know. I don't find him anywhere. And he's over there hiding. That's what he would do. Peter would do that. Why would he do that? He didn't want to be seen eating with the Gentiles. And then the word hold himself aloof is the word aphorizo. Aforizo means he drew a line and said, I'm not fellowshipping with you. Old Ralph would walk up and say, Pete, you're coming over tonight? You were there last night. What? I don't even know who you are. Now you leave me alone and get away from me. Why? Because they were there. That's amazing. How many times we can walk one day under grace and because they come around, we get right back in the old works mentality to hold himself aloof. Do a line. Fearing the party of the circumcision. You know why he feared them? Probably. He doesn't say. They're from Jerusalem. And remember this. Right after this, I believe, is when the the Jerusalem council met and they sent out a decree. and said, look out, look out. There are people coming to church to church and they're saying, we're sending them. We're not sending them. You better watch them. And sure enough, he feared the party of the circumcision. Why? Because they came from hometown, folks. They can hurt him when he goes back. They can hurt his reputation. They can do to him what they were doing to Paul. And so old Peter cowered down. Chicken. Cowered down. Backed away. Peter gave in to them. Don't point your finger at him. Any of us are susceptible. Any of us are susceptible. If it can happen to Simon Peter, it can happen to me in a minute. It has happened to me. (laughs) Well, you say, Wayne, what happened next? This is as far as I can go. (laughs) I'm out of time. But next week we're going to really get in the heat of the confronta- confrontation. And I'll tell you what Paul says gives us the foundation of the message of grace and what it's all about. And it'll tell you, show you the difference in religion and in our relationship. But what I want to leave you with today, who are the they in your life? You know, some of us are like yo-yos. I call, I call us mugwumps. You know what a mugwump is? It's a bird that sits on, his fe- on a fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other. <laughs> it just can't make up its mind which side it's going to get on. On Sunday mornings, oh, grace, grace, God's grace. On Monday, we'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. Will you make up your mind? Which side of the fence are you on? You see, when they come around, look out. They'll put you back up under a mentality that says you've got to do something in order to accomplish what only Christ can give to you. And that's what works we're talking about. We're not talking about the doing of Christianity. That's going to take care of itself. We're talking about works with a motivation of attaining righteousness. And some people will put you right back up under that mindset. I've done some stupid things since I've been in the pastorate. <laughs> you say, why do not you do them all the time I'm here? Well, I don't know that. I was at Woodland Park, and somebody came to me and said, Brother Wayne, such and such is going to be in town this weekend. He's coming through. You wouldn't believe how many phone calls we get every week about this very same thing. Brother, well, you have never heard anybody like this man. I'd heard his name before, but I didn't know what he preached. And I did the stupidest thing. I let him get in this pulpit. i tell you, what's one thing I'm going to guard with my life, whoever gets up here? But I made a big mistake and learned from it, hopefully. He got up in the pulpit that morning. We had two services. And he beat our people to death with a works mentality. Buddy, if you're not passing out 25 tracts a day, you don't love Jesus. If you're not getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you're not spiritual. He even got on the young mamas that had little bitty children. He said, you think that's a cop out? No, sir, buddy, you've got a responsibility in your neighborhood to get a Bible study started for all the other mamas that are in that area. By the end of the service, <laughs> The grace of God was I didn't throw up all over the platform. Never heard any more of a demeaning religious mindset in all of my life. I'll tell you what, you get up under grace, you'll see far more happen than what He tells you you've got to do to be pleasing. You get up under Christianity and you start living, let Jesus be Jesus in you, you're going to see ministry that you didn't even know about. You're talking about working. It'll wear you out, but it'll be a different motivation. Greatest joy you'll ever have. Well, I went to my associate pastor, Rick Shepard, who's a dear brother. I said, Rick, I'm sick. (laughs) I really wasn't. Well, I was. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to go home. What I was really saying is I can't stand listening to this one more time. After the second service, Rick said, thanks a lot, Wayne. You made me listen to it twice. (laughs) I've done it. I've done it. He made everybody in there. Forget the relationship with Jesus and the, and the wonderful joy of saying yes to Him and made them feel like if they didn't go do it, then they would never be blessed. I want to tell you something, folks. It's all over this church. It's all over every church. And I don't know where you're sitting, and I love you dearly. I love you dearly. But understand, if you're walking under grace, the works will take care of themselves. Quit thinking I'm preaching a message of passivity. If, you're keep, if you keep saying that, you're making that up. Because I have told you a hundred times since I've been here, that is not what I'm preaching. Responsibility is Christ in you being obedient to His Father. He produces the willingness to obey. He produces the desire to do the works. Then He enables you in the works. Religion says you've got to sit down and come up with what you hope God will be pleased with so that you can attain a certain place in life. Watch out. They are everywhere and they'll steal and rob you from your walk of grace and joy in Jesus Christ. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.